We've tried. We can't. It's someone always forgets one of the numbers. Yeah, someone. <laughs> okay. It gets kind of confusing after ten. There's like they get the numbers get weird after ten. And welcome to <laughs> Watching Movies at the Bar. I'm Bethy Squires, and with me as always is Thomas Kribinski. Hi, Bethy. Hello. I just uh, got off the Weezer Christmas cruise, <laughs> um, and I'm ready to podcast. Did you see that um, story about the British pub that got snowed in with an Oasis cover band? Yes. <laughs> no, I didn't, but that's sick. And like... The cover band kept playing songs like Wonderwall. Like it was days, and they were like, "We're we're gonna keep occasionally playing the music," and everyone was like, "You have to stop. We ne- we don't know when this is ending, but you have to, you have to let this end." Were they good? Yeah, so good, so good. That'd be a great time to try out the new stuff. The original. <laughs> <laughs> um, that voice you just heard. Was Alan Strickland Williams, who uh, you could have seen on Conan and whose half hour is on Comedy Central. Alan, what is your favorite Oasis song? Oh, it's got to be that one that's um, um, Hi to Hi, everybody. Um, but I, the one that is it Don't Look Back in Anger? Yeah, that's the song. The one that's like, So, Sally, can wait or whatever. Is that that one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that yeah. song's sick. I like that one. Yeah. I don't really Every know Oasis... too much, though, about Oasis. <laughs> Every Oasis hit kind of sounds the same, but not in a bad way. Just they, they have a very identi- identifiable sound. Do you know what Oasis song I got really into after watching that Matt Whitcross doc? Mm. Bring It On Down. Do you know that one? I do not know that one. Oof. It's on Definitely Maybe, and it's like uh, truly a barn burner. There's just like a ripping, almost like pop punk guitar solo in the middle that really, really hits. Anyway, uh, Oasis, cool band. Oasis, cool band. Weezer, cool cruise. (laughs) Watching movies at the bar. Back from Christmas vacation. We also, Bethy, did you hear we just got the numbers in? And they're saying that this is... um, as far as iTunes numbers are concerned, the biggest podcast they've ever had. Number one <laughs> podcast <laughs> that covers specifically the Weezer Cruise and also Whit Stillman Films. It, it's amazing. It's an honor. It's a dirty job, but somebody has to do it, you know? <laughs> Thomas, have you had any fun movie bar experiences in the time that we've been away? That is a great question. I've been back to Monty Bar. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is one of my favorite spots. Uh, And they famously are playing movies I know nothing about, but projecting them onto this like Baroque wallpaper Mm -hmm. uh, that I love. Um, But, but that to me is the experience of watching movies at the bar. Like sometimes people are like, Oh, I love watching air bud at, at this particular place. But for me, it's just the experience of seeing moving images somewhere they should not be. Yeah, I love the experience of seeing a movie. You have no idea what it is. Subtitles are not on, so you cannot Google a quote. And spending like half of the time that you're supposed to be like talking to other human beings, just sort of going like, is that Roger Moore? Hmm. (laughs) I feel like I just saw like the Space Needle, the Seattle Space Needle, and that's Roger Moore. Can I Google around from there to figure out what movie this is? Yeah, I always look for context clues. It's like, okay, is this the character Hercules? Uh, mm-hmm. And is that the actor The Rock? Uh, and if the answers to those questions are yes, then you know it's Brett Ratner's Hercules. I just love <laughs> when there when there's no subtitles and no audio because basically you can just make them say whatever you want. <laughs> you can just yeah. you can come up with your own. It's like it's your movie basically when you're now you're in like control. That. Yeah, yeah. The bar goes crazy for that. You could even be kind of a pervert, you know, say weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we could do. You could make like a whole thing out of it. Like basically, it's just just cosplaying mystery science theater three thousand um, <laughs> with your friends. I guess. Um, I was at Cha Cha Lounge last night, and they were projecting 
Wild at Heart on the back wall. Oh my god, Ooh. are you fucking kidding me? Interesting. Nobody nobody was into it, but it was happening. I saw it. I was like, oh, look at that. And then a Solange song played. I was like, oh, Solange. And again, nobody gave a shit. But I was having a nice media time. Oh, good. I thought you were saying that you were included in the people not there for it. No, no, no. I was in, I was engaged. I was actively listening. You know, I was yes-anding Nicolas Cage. Absolutely. That's a good bar movie. I would, I think, prefer Lost Highway just because it has the nasty, like, industrial and metal songs. Like, the soundtrack for that movie is insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, could 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 uh, bring the house down at Cha-Cha. <laughs> Alan, what is your experience of watching movies at bars? Is that something that you like to do? We have some people who do the podcast who are like, I love that you guys have a podcast about an activity that I would never participate in, but more power <laughs> to you. Then other people are like, we get it. We love it. We're feeling yeah. it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a big fan of, um, I'm a big fan of background viewing in general. It's something I abide by and something I do quite often whenever I'm doing a lot of like banal stuff. But I love watching a movie in a bar. I, I also just love, like, I'll just watch, I'm an idiot, so I'll just watch any screen and like anything <laughs> that's on it. So like I'll just be like, oh, well, the the Hyperion Public back in the day, they used to um, at a certain point just flip all the TVs to something called like the Chive, um, which oh, is oh fuck <laughs> yeah I don't know if you ever saw it there or somewhere else but it's basically just uh, a less family friendly America's Funniest Home Videos, okay, and which is like perfect perfect thing to have on in the background of a bar because <laughs> uh, it's not like you don't really get too worked up over it but I, I i i like i like all the versions of it i like when someone's on like i watched a i think i watched kingpin one time fully with, with captions at least but no audio at this one bar in austin that's no longer a bar anymore the place called mugshots um i've also gone to bars to like watch episodes of a thing um, or to watch a thing like as a group, which group viewing stuff can be annoying, but that's more of the pro. The problem isn't the bar. That's the problem. <laughs> the problem is, is me and that I just get annoyed by right. people or whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of it. I mean, I, I, I do love when you go to a bar and there isn't a monitor, but if there is one, throw a fucking movie on there, you know, why not? Alan, I, I, I really respect your perspective on group viewing and the irritation you feel that you might not even want to feel. Like, I yeah. had to have a hard conversation with a friend leading into this season of Succession where she was very excited about having a group viewing party for the premiere. Mm-hmm. She wanted to have people over. She wanted to watch it. She was so excited to do that. And I had to sidebar and be like, I love you, but I'm an insane person, and this is a show that I watch by myself in solitude. It is such a personal, dialed-in experience, and if other people are talking or coloring the way that I'm experiencing the show, like, I'm just going to get frustrated, again, because I am insane. Yeah, I I feel like it's great to watch bad stuff together. But when when something's actually good, I'm like, that might be a little treat just for me like i you know i don't i don't know if we need to share but um also again it's like i know that it's it's like just chill out alan like (laughs) it's fine but um yeah i relate to that completely but at a bar at a bar you 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 can't really be like you really can't have that attitude that at a bar though because it's like this is for everybody you know and also everyone's drunk so it's like you know i everyone's annoying (laughs) that's part of what makes a bar special though because it's an opportunity for someone like you or me to surrender that sort of like need for control or to be entirely tuned into the thing you just become a part of the collective bethy's better Mm -hmm. at that than i am Mm. i'll accept that i don't know if i agree but i'll take it yeah i i think it's nice the the sort of if we're all out in public there's already a social contract there that does make it easier than like Everybody come over and watch this thing. Yeah. You're already, if you go to the bar, it's like, well, we've already agreed that we're going to talk a little bit because we have to like talk to the servers. We've already agreed that we're not going to like flip out when people are talking over the movie because Mm -hmm. we are in public with people Mm -hmm. that we can't control. It does lower the stakes for that sort of thing. Here's a question. What, what do you guys think is the best bar to watch a movie at in LA? Uh, And I know Mm -hmm. my answer. 
You know your answer? I think it's got to be drawing room at this point. I, I don't Here's know what else. Oh, shit. I've never watched a movie there, but I should. I was Sorry, actually just about to bring up drawing room. I've been going recently on Mondays after trivia mm-hmm. because it's it's like halfway between like I walk there and then I can take the train from there home. Oh, okay. I have a complicated it's you know, it's mm-hmm. a whole hike. But on Mondays, I think it's Christina working and she puts on music videos and then fills oh, the that. jukebox with songs that aren't those music videos. Love that. Love oh that. yeah and i asked her about it i was like why do you put on music videos when you know you're not going to hear the music and she's like well because movies are boring <laughs> that's great like, which is an opinion that you share bethy <laughs> sometimes yeah i don't think they're boring i think it's the wrong amount of time to spend on narrative that's a difference interesting no and i you know what especially now i really agree with like every movie that comes out is like I always think when I get out of a movie, I go, could have been a lot shorter. I <laughs> just, I always think of like, definitely didn't need like 17 of those minutes, but you know, that's fine. Although sometimes I don't feel like that. I did watch Dune and I was like, oh, this is kind of like, <laughs> I, was, I was like happy it was long, I guess. I feel the same way. Dune returned to IMAX and I saw it on Friday and I was not exhausted by it. And even after the two hours and 40 minutes it ended, I was like, I was engaged by that scene for scene. And I would watch the sequel immediately after if they gave it to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and they will. They will. <laughs> Coming soon. <laughs> and I think this movie is also the correct length and the correct format for the story because it's sort of a, a cute little series of vignettes. Movie we're here to talk about, The Last Days of Disco, yes. I think is perfectly suited for film, even though it got novelized. Yes, it did. Yeah. I still think the movie's probably going to be better. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the movie's definitely better than the novel. No disrespect to the novel. Um, but um, yeah, I, you know, it's funny. When I was watching it, I watched it, I think, on a Wednesday or a Thursday. I just watched it, watched it like after work. And um, it was so fun. Like yeah. I was like dancing and I was like, Oh, I wish I was watch <laughs> I wish that we were watching it together or like watching it at a bar or something just because of, like having martinis or something like that. Cause it was just <laughs> like, um, I forgot how, how, how fun it is. I'm glad. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, I guess we should get into it. Well, what, uh, what led you to bring this movie to our doorstep, Alan? Well, you know, it's like when thinking about the different ways you can take it, I was like, a, I hadn't seen it in a while. And, and I really like it. Like I have a big poster of it. Like it's, it's one of my top, you know, whatever. Wood Stillman's maybe my favorite director. I, 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 maybe, but, um, it's just so funny. And I forgot, I always forget how like really, really funny it is and how much it makes me laugh. And actually it's funny too, because I was watching, I was like, oh, this is kind of like proto succession in some ways. It's definitely, there's <laughs> definitely not as much malice, um, as it, but. I love movies where a lot of it is just people talking. Yes. Like, and I, 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 and anytime I'm, I know you get a a lot of times, like all these script writing things, it's like you, everything's supposed to be so active and there's always supposed to be stuff going on. I'm like, nah, just give me some crazy people talking. (laughs) 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 That'll do me just fine. Um, And I just kind of had, I just kind of like the soundtrack of it, fact that it is a very it, it's just so on theme with the podcast of like you know going out and you know it's it literally is you know i guess it's a club not a bar but you know but um yeah i thought it'd be fun i thought you guys would like it and i thought it'd be kind of fun to dig into i loved it yeah oh good uh immediately when i finished the movie i texted alan and i was like alan this is a gift thank you so much <laughs> Uh, Whit Stillman is one of those names that people throw around and I'm so embarrassed to say I'm not familiar with his work. This was my first Whit Stillman movie and I instantly felt like this was one of my favorite movies. Every scene I was floored by, it almost works as like a short film because it is so kind of vignette oriented, but all of the characters are so good that even the relative plotlessness is not an obstacle. I would hang out with them for fucking five hours. And, and it's kind of like he—he's—that's he, the experience I had when I saw the first movie I saw of his was called Metropolitan, and it's um, it's great. It's about like kids that are on like their first year home from college and they're going to dead balls, and it's like 
shot in the 90s, but it's kind of got this timeless, it could be any time like thing going on. Um, but it's the same exact. It's it's this. It's like a series of vignettes, and it's actually kind of interesting too. I forgot about this, but he has like a he. There's like a Whit Stillman cinematic universe of yeah. like the <laughs> char- like one of the characters that they pointed out that was at the club was like the star of one of the, of, of Metropolitan, and then like all the mentions of Barcelona, like Barcelona's this other movie, and then the, the other thing too is like he's like, and I think he's a pretty. He would admit this about himself. He's a pretty lazy person and director <laughs> so he's like yeah i just take like 10 years off of this and like you know um so he there's really not there isn't that much out there even for for now but he did do recently he did do a, a more recent one with greta gerwig and then he also did love and friendship which that you would you could say there's there's straight up plot there because it's just straight up a adaptation of jane austen right. and i that's the other thing too it's like i watch this like oh yeah i forget he's He's basically just doing like Jane Austen, but for the yuppie set or whatever. Right. Yeah, because that's the thing that is not always understood about, I think, either Whit Stillman or Jane Austen is that they are both very critical of the worlds that they're mm-hmm. representing and showing. Like before I had seen this movie, I had just sort of heard of Whit Stillman as like, people would call him like the conservative Woody Allen. <laughs> like people would, oh, would like that. assign politics to him when he was just, like he would be like i'm apolitical this is a comedy of manners mm-hmm. you you can infer that there are politics here but i'm kind of just trying to dunk on my friends mm-hmm. and jane austen you know is the same way that she is highly critical of the world that she is describing in her books totally. yeah this movie feels sort of like a response to like the Obviously, it is not literally a response, but just me thinking about movies. It feels a little bit like a response to Nancy Meyer's sort of like brownstone fantasies, where it's just <laughs> sort of reveling in that uh, mode of being, whereas this movie feels much more critical of all of these people, but in a way that feels thoughtful. It's not it's not antagonistic towards its characters, but like it's really putting each of them under a microscope in a cool way. Yeah, and it's kind of funny, too, because like, you know, no no spoiler alerts i guess but the way that it kind of (laughs) ends with things i guess let's say reshuffling or whatever and people kind of winding up where they maybe should have been in the first place it um it didn't strike me as like not i don't know it kind of ended happily i guess is what i'm saying even as even though it was sort of like uh you know, like, do we, do I even like these people that I'm watching? And, you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, did this, is this a time that even really existed or is it all fantasy or whatever? But, uh, there's, I, I mean, again, it's just the sort of like, if <laughs> hearing some of the shit that they, these characters, I mean, the Kate Beckinsale's character, I just kept thinking like, <laughs> this is a young Lucille Bluth. Like, this yeah, is yeah, like, yeah. like she, I forget what she said at one point. She just said, um, I wrote it. I wrote it down somewhere. Um, uh, well, that's just. She just said. Well, that's just tough. <laughs> it's, just like, it's like, oh, this is like you're kind of seeing. It's kind of interesting too. Like the point. It's. It's not. A, it's definitely not a coming of age movie. But it's like there's something very youthful about it, and that it's like all these people are striving. Like they're all striving for something, whether it's like some code of purity or like a relationship or like job or whatever. It's like. There's this sort of like putting on airs to it that I think is always, it's just funny when people like, you know, they're like putting on these dumb costumes so they can get inside the discotheque. <laughs> it's like, wow, it's like so de- desperate. Has Kate Beckinsale ever been better than she she's is so in great. this movie? Yeah. I, I mean, she she is great in lo- and she's in Love and Friendship. She plays. Um, oh, cool. She plays the the title character. Um, she plays and she's love? really. She plays love. <laughs> no, she plays she friendship. Plays oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, she uh, she's great in that. I forget the the character's name, but um, but yeah, she's. I mean, I also just love like, I don't know. I feel like a lot. It's like, and again, this kind of is the thing with Succession. Like, a lot of people will be like, I don't understand why you want to watch a show or stuff about like bad people or like people that just seem mean or whatever. And I'm like, well, but that's where I want to see it. I don't want to see it like in the real world. <laughs> like, right. I don't want <laughs> me or my friends to be like mean people. I don't want to deal with me people, but these people are fucking funny. Like it's just like a, cause it's such a, like 
at war with everyone way of like living um, and just sort of like constantly lying and constantly like <laughs> you're making your life so difficult. Why wouldn't you just like be a normal fucking person? Um, but uh, you know, that's just the way some people are, I guess. But, and then also just like the way that they would get into these, like the whole thing about the lady and the tramp um, and like them talking about like what the, the tramp is a tramp and can and basically using that as a extended metaphor about like, can people really change? That's an amazing scene. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, when is it Des who's playing devil's advocate, and then he retroactively identifies yes, yeah. as the more the more honorable of the dogs? Yes. Um, amazing scene. Sorry, Bethy, <laughs> take it away. Oh, I was thinking we should probably uh, zoom back a little bit and try sure. and give some sort of plot overview, and then we can dive yeah, into okay. it a little more. So yeah, it's basically about this like probably young twenties group of people living in New York and it's like the it's the last days of disco it's the winding down of the groovy like more diverse uh, maybe definitely more liberal disco scene uh, as the rise of like you know 80s capitalist concert like shit was going on so um it's about like people these like people that are working their jobs and trying to make their relationships work and it's all centered around the club that they go to which i don't even remember the name of it off the top it's of my just head. called the club which it's called the i club. think is so funny that's good too yeah and it's just like you know it's like obviously supposed to be like studio 54 or whatever and um and it's and then it's that's pretty much the plot i mean there is stuff that happens but i don't want to like give anything away but like it, it's just sort of these characters bouncing around each other and criticizing each other and talking about each other's backs and sleeping with each other and like i guess a slice of of a slice of a really dumb set of of people (laughs) that's like the coolest kind of movie to me though you said earlier it's like a movie where people are just talking and obviously these people are really interesting but like the movie is a bunch of people whose only point of connection with the exception of like you know, two of them working together or like being old friends, they all go to this same club. And it's sort of like the magnetic pull that brings them all into this film and into this story. Um, it rules. I don't I don't think movies need to be plot machines. They should just be, like you said, a slice of a very particular life. There's also just it's just a like, you know, it's just kind of a fun movie because it's like the way it opens with like disco music is fucking awesome. Like Carol Carol <laughs> Douglas's um, Doctor's Orders, that's like one of the best songs ever written. And the way that it opens and like it comes in, and then there's a little bit of setup between the characters and the music. They they take the music down, and then like right, they like bring it back in for one more stanza, and like they're at the club. Um, there's also a lot of fun stuff with like you know you get to hear a lot of music, you get to watch people dancing, that's fun. But also like some of the transitions were done in ways that made me like there, it was like this, like this, just the strobing that they used, like for the credits. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, I want to be at a party. <laughs> I'm like, this is fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so it's, it really, um, I, I, I like, I, I also do like movies that are sort of like, you know, the tagline of the, I have a poster, the tagline of the movie. This is a great tagline is history is made at night. And I'm like, that's uh... just like, I'm like, I love, I love the nighttime. Um, I love going out. So Do like especially like, I like to boogie <laughs> as well. Um, but, you know, especially like given, you know, the way things have been recently, it's sort of like, oh, what a great way to feel like you're, you know, it's like really it seems like a different time or whatever. But um, yeah, it does feel like it's like specifically that you're you're at a party and you're overhearing shitty people that you never yes. have to talk to again. Yes, like it, it's that specific feeling of being like a fly on the wall of a party, and these are your party friends who you may never see again, and you don't actually have to care about, and you get to just like briefly be in their lives and like experience their world, and then you can dip. Mm-hmm. But I think we can all admit that sometimes when we do that, people watching or overhearing at parties, even though they're people we would never want to hang out with, there is amusement there. Hearing their anecdotes, hearing oh, sure. the way they mm-hmm. present themselves. And yeah, this movie is that. I I really have to give it to Stillman for the way he wrote Kate Beckinsale's character, Charlotte. Like, Kate Beckinsale does it incredibly, but every single 
line that she has is like often a complete reversal of the last thing she said in order to assert hierarchy over um alice chloe Mm Sevigny's character and i have met so many people of every gender who are like that who are just like i i need to assert my reality and I and I but I don't really I have to be right about everything, but I don't actually have a core that I feel like I have to be right about. Also, what moment is more telling of that than her saying, I apologize for anything that I did wrong and I don't apologize for anything that I did that was <laughs> yeah, not wrong. <laughs> that was so funny. Um, I, I guess that's another thing, too. That's really great to watch. I love watching people with no principles like like the only principle that she has is like being right. Or like one upping or whatever. It's like getting the upper hand. Um, yeah, it's a, and then just sort of like you know how slimy Des is and stuff. And like when he shows <laughs> when he shows whoever all the money and uh, <laughs> and it's like oh like is this a good thing or a bad thing? It's like eh, it doesn't look great. And it's like what are you gonna do about it? And does it just like well, I'm not going to go in that room anymore. <laughs> I'm like, that's how you deal with the problem is you just don't go in the room anymore. It's like, okay, that's like true compartmentalizing. I do find it so funny that that the subplot of like the, you know, skimming or money laundering or exactly like tax fraud, whatever is going on at the club, the way that these like recent Ivy League grads react to like financial malfeasance as if it's like, the craziest, scariest thing you've ever seen someone do is <laughs> like so. They're such fucking nerds. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. the nightclub has illegal money on premises. I'm shocked. Like, get over it, you fucking weirdos. But yeah, think about so it. Cute. These kids all have really rich dads, so mm-hmm. the things that they think of as being like world-ending are, you know, money laundering or or poor corporate management. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds about right. Um, they don't have ethics that extend beyond dollar bills. I was saying, I was saying this to you last night, Thomas, that this movie in some ways to me, I'm used to like either watching movies or being in situations where I'm paying attention to the other people who are at the club. Like this movie is sort of a counterpart to like, uh, the limelight documentary or party monster, Mm -hmm. um, it's like it was literally a dueling movie with 54, but like those are movies about like the gay weirdos and the black people who made disco like really flourish. Mm-hmm. And these like day trippers into the scene is like that's that's a population that I had never considered in the whole story of disco. And it's really fascinating yeah. to like observe them. Seeing like sort of like the squares. yeah that's kind of they're all kind of like lame like they're you know they're all like either annoying or lame and then even like there's the scene too where like she gets caught out for being basic basically just based on her drink order and i'm like that's that i mean that there's a lot of stuff in it too that i really did think i'm like oh that's kind of either prescient or or timeless or whatever but it's like the the culture of and also you said this earlier party friends like that like that is a very like not special relationship but it's a very (laughs) dynamic relationship because you're always seeing these people in you know the most the most insane shit happens because you're all whacked out and like you're all like you're always like dancing and doing fun stuff so it's like almost every thing immediately becomes worthwhile as its own experience as if it's its own like story um, and I think that they nailed that really well with this because I mean, and it, you know, there it's funny too, because it's, it's kind of like nothing really happens, but then there is a lot of stuff that goes down near the end of the movie. And, you know, that is, that's also the kind of crazy shit that happens when you're, when you're part of a party like thing. But um, yeah, it, it, and it is just kind of funny too. It's just like, you know, the, what is the big moral of this? The story is like sometimes the party has to end. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like that's what it's all about. But you know, in some ways, the most, I guess, admirable character is the one who has an impassioned speech about how disco isn't dead and trends are cyclical and it will return. Mm-hmm. Um, Precious Josh, mm-hmm. uh, he has like a speech at the beginning about like the fellowship of the disco club, even though he's never been. 
he's and committed then, to disco uh, as a movement, which so is cute. such an amazing bit of dialogue. It also like gives the movie this mythical heft, even though it's like ultimately kind of like mundane and playful. The writing is amazing. Well, it's also like he was right. Like mm-hmm. disco has come. Like you know, like there, there's definitely been a resurgence of both like nightlife and even you know the music itself. So it's kind of funny to like see how that data actually play out. That reminds me. I was going to ask, what's everybody's relationship to disco? <laughs> that feels like an insane question to ask. No, no, what is no, your relationship a, to disco? I've been, I, this actually, I've been waiting to, to be asked this for a long time. Um, <laughs> no, you know, it's funny is I, I don't, I really just kind of knew it as like, you know, what he said in that speech of it just being like John Travolta or whatever. And sort of being like a disco sucks person rock and roll like you know me i'm a like real rocker um yeah. when i was younger but i don't know at a certain point probably around the time i started really liking to go out and do things as like an adult i was like oh this is awesome this music rules like because it's great for dancing and it's all it's all about having fun or whatever like that um i i i remember i worked at a radio station at the time and um, the host interviewed um, Niles, Niles Rogers, mm-hmm. um, who's in, uh, is it Chic, Chic right? He's in Chic, yeah. And he's like, he was like, just came off cross as a really smart guy. But um, he talked about how he wrote Good Times, the song. And like, just hearing him say what the words were, I was like, oh, I need to listen to that song. Um, <laughs> and, and I did, and I was like, Oh yeah, this rules. And that kind of was like that specific moment was like, and then this movie also was like really, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of great music in, in the movie that I, I, I don't know. It's just great. It's good music. It's, it's cool. You mentioned Niall Rogers cause Niall Rogers feels like the sort of enduring icon of disco who is like insisted that it continue in some form. Like he's on like the two biggest songs on that final Daft Punk record. Like, mm-hmm. uh, both get lucky and lose yourself to dance, or like just orbiting around Nile Rogers riffs. Totally. Um, and um, you know, Dave Grohl has said that Sheik is the entire like inspiration for his drumming technique. Like, oh, like Teen Spirit is a Sheik beat more than it is like punk. Oh yeah, that's right. He said he like he said he told the guy, mm-hmm. the drummer, that he, like, stole it. And the drummer's like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> now yeah. that you mention it, there is kind of, like, a four-on-the-floor mm-hmm. thing with Smells Like Teen Spirit that had never occurred to me. Uh, Thomas, what is your relationship to disco? Virtually non-existent, man. My parents were Christians. We were listening to, like, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Um <laughs> But I, you know, you, you hear songs here and there, and eventually you have a relationship with it. But when... This is kind of goofy, but when Arcade Fire released Reflector, I I really love that record, um, and it has a lot of disco influence, and that motivated me to kind of work backwards. But I I'm not super well versed. What about you, Bethy? Um, I was uh I don't know like eleven or twelve when this movie came out, and when Fifty Four came out at the same mm-hmm. in the same year. Um, and I was a big, like, VH1 head at the time. I love it. As all, like, super cool 11-year-olds are. So I watched, like, Behind the Music about Studio 54 and, like, E! True Hollywood Stories about all these different disco people. So I was, like, I was obsessed with Studio 54 when I was little. And I loved disco. And I learned all the words to, um, I'm singing it in my head, Don't Leave Me This Way by Thelma Houston. Great song. Um, for like for like three months, disco was my personality when I was like eleven or twelve. <laughs> I love that. I I I love VH1. I love being a VH1 head. I remember watching like VH1 in the morning before school. Yeah, and seeing like the new Radicals video like a million times. <laughs> but I think that's the one thing that I do still envy New York people over LA people. Is is the the de- degenerate party club kid energy that has like kept going even you know disco dies and then you know danceateria comes and then mm-hmm. it's the club kids and then it's the strokes and like that and then it's like last night's party. There's always like nasty freaks at four a.m. and people are like doing yoga at four a.m. here and that is frustrating as a nocturnal person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of drawing room too, drawing room. 
I don't even know if they still do it, but they used to be, they would open at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. So if you were, if you were really, really doing the like hang out all night thing, you could go there the next morning and like start your day. But it's like, it's like you're going to the drawing room and then there's like, you know, a guy walking a dog and like pushing the baby in a stroller. And it's just like, <laughs> we've like, no one wants to look at each other. But drawing room has like a beautiful, like, Day drinking in Los Angeles is is bar none. It's a sure. elite tier, but <laughs> nightlife LA like drawing room at six a.m. doesn't have like Studio Fifty Four energy. It doesn't have no, like unsa no. unsa dance party energy. I know. I do wish. Um, that's like if I could ever travel through time, I do think I would try to go to the Studio Fifty Four and try to get in. But because uh, it just like it looks like. I remember watching that stuff as a kid too, and I just recently I watched some Studio Fifty Four like doc or whatever, and it's just like yeah, I mean I think Heaven is probably just dropping a lewd and going to the going to Studio Fifty Four. It looks like so much fun, <laughs> but uh, alas, you know. But I I don't know if you guys have ever gone to um, and I, I I'm pretty I'm pretty removed from this at this point, but um. There used to be like a pretty active after-hour scene in LA that was still obviously nothing like 50, 54 <laughs> or whatever. But um, you know, there I, I don't I wonder if it is still going. I'm sure it is somewhere um, in some somewhere. part of town. But I'll um, but yeah, there there is a place that was called the Overpass that used to be like the the thing that was kind of like a club you could go to, and it's you know. It's not as not as nice as disco days. TikTok is making a lot of noise about like early two thousands sleaze culture coming back, like American <laughs> Apparel ad bistro vibes, vibes and electro clash and what have you. And I won't be happy until we get like Cobra Snake last night's party, like party mm-hmm. photography back. I mm. we need that. Yeah. We're all Fisher Spoonheads on this uh, podcast. Right? <laughs> it is funny. I um, I'm a Fisher Stevens uh, head. You know, it's oh, like, okay, fair. The, like they're really. It was funny to watch this and watch people partying because you know things are returning to normal. Although I guess we'll see how everything goes, or whatever. But you know, like I, I can't say that I haven't done it. Um, but it was nice to just watch, like. I'm like, oh, it's just fun to watch people socializing <laughs> and just like having fun and not like there's no masks. Well, there's I guess there's some, but um, yeah. I was overwhelmed by that feeling watching the movie. There's even a moment where they're like passing a coat check and no one is wearing masks and everyone is just kind of talking at each other. And you know that spit is coming out of their mouths mm-hmm. and more likely than not, they'll make it through the next two weeks without getting sick. What a fantasy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but- nothing to worry about. On that same note, <laughs> like, this movie is fascinating because it, it does talk about, like, sexually transmitted diseases because... Mm-hmm. Uh, herpes the, ended disco. The dickhead lawyer <laughs> gives Chloe seven herpes. And then at the end of the movie, when they're like, disco is... When Van, the door guy, where is his movie, by the way? Van's amazing. Van, like, oh. monologuing at the end on the sidewalk beautiful just explaining the end of disco in mythic terms love, love him it was also great too that he was just like i'm piecing out to florida he's definitely going to miami yeah. like where that's where <laughs> disco went when it went south for like uh you know a couple decades it just went down there but when van is <laughs> explaining that disco has died uh charlotte says is it because of the herpes epidemic and i just can't help but be like yeah <laughs> Yeah, Charlotte, that's the sexually transmitted epidemic that killed Disco. <laughs> mm-hmm. Charlotte, you bonehead. Charlotte's such a fucking idiot. I love her so much. <laughs> she's just like constantly talking without thinking about anything she's saying. And she's just like coming up with all her weird little rules. I, li- I also like, um, I guess what it is, it's like she has a lot of rules, but she has no principles. She's always like barking yes. like what things could be and. That's, a, you know, you said comedy of manners earlier and that I, I stuff like that is just always so funny to me of 
the little the ways people interact and the the lies they tell themselves or whatever and to see them i love watching an idiot make the same mistake over and over and over again just like that's drama that's like life or whatever we're coming back to succession now (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, exactly yeah the way that that charlotte is able to just assert her reality onto alice every time is like they are both idiots because she'll be just like this is who you are and i'll be like oh i guess that's who i am and they're yeah. like, no, it's the exact opposite, actually. You're, uh, you need to fuck more. You actually need to fuck less. Fucking is bad, but I'm going to fuck now, so you should um, <laughs> figure it out. And Alice just internalizes it every time. It's insane. I also love how she, um, what did she say at some point when they're talking about the the STIs? She's like, um, she just goes like, well, everybody gets something. <laughs> it's just like such a nihilistic like also the thing too when you watch something like this i'm like these are all future republicans 100 mm-hmm. <laughs> or, <laughs> or current sure yeah yeah um but yeah just like well they're probably not even political now or whatever and then they will you're so right about the all rules no principles thing i think that really uh articulates a lot of the movie in an interesting way yeah, I I know that, and that's what a lot of the other movies, I mean, literally, Love and Friendship is like Jane Austen, so it, that, that's kind of what all of that Jane Austen stuff was, too. Like, um, just these, like, kind of just extremely brutal, like, dissections of how these, like, fuddy-duddies all go about their lives. Alice is Chloe Sevigny's character, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love her whole thing where she has the rehearsed line, especially in the opening sequence about like, oh, these guys think they know writing? Well, I don't find the writer of Spider-Man to be very sophisticated. <laughs> and then she goes home with this guy who she believes to be a sophisticate who has framed Scrooge McDuck comics on his wall. Um, and then her line about there's something so sexy about Scrooge McDuck is maybe one of the most amazing line deliveries in cinema. It's hilarious. Poor, poor Alice. It's just like she is a little quiet and then people project the wackest shit onto her <laughs> because of that. Like every single person in this movie has an Alice in their head that they are furious with. Mm-hmm. It has absolutely nothing to do with Alice, the person who is walking through New York City. I uh, I hadn't seen this movie in a while, and this um, between the last time I saw it and this time, I started working in advertising more, <laughs> and so that was really funny too. To just like there'd be like these people all just worked in advertising, which looking back, I'm like, it's like how in like every rom com, like. Everyone's an architect. There, everyone's an architect or an editor. Yeah, yeah, exactly like that. It's like, what? That's a real job? People really do? Um, but uh, the way that they were just so disdainful of advertising just made me laugh so, so hard. Um, also, because, like, now it's like, I don't even think people, I think, like, advertising, like, won, <laughs> like, or something. I don't know. It's just, like, everyone's just, everyone's, like, constantly advertising all the time now. Alan, were you soul crushed by no ad men at the no, disco? Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's hard. Hard to watch. But then it turns out he didn't really have anything against ad men. He just knew that's how the feds were getting into the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I mean, that was the thing too, where it's like the plot that does happen is pretty localized, but it's like pretty big. Is his friend's name Hap? Who has yes. the shittiest hair you've ever yeah, seen? Yeah. Who turns Lego, out to be yeah unbelievable like haircut's so funny hap who plays bull on cbs's bull oh really i didn't i noticed some um some weird i well first off mark mckinney Mm -hmm. showed up in it so got a little brain candy in there but um they're a guy at the beginning when they like he's the guy that he's giving the coat to in the in the limo i'm almost positive that he was like had a little part in 30 rock and it's like Jane Krakowski or Jenna mistakes him for an NBC executive. Um, so she has sex with this old guy. <laughs> but it's he was just like on the phone talking about like his foot infection or something like that. But anyway, I was like, oh, my God, like there is some weird there's some funny little. And then the guy um, that was like the co-worker. He was in Silicon Valley. He played like that's the head Josh of, uh... Charles, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That guy. I liked him, too. I liked him in this. He's great. I think he's a great actor. That's um, his name, right? Am I fucking that up? I think Josh Charles is the other guy. 
that's not Josh Charles. Josh Charles is the guy on The Good Wife. Mm. That's the red-haired guy, right? The the unionizing incel is what Colin and I were calling him. I mix him up with the guy who was the head of the like VC firm in the first season of Silicon Valley because he uh-huh. also has red hair, but I fucked up. But this movie has like a a truly interesting cast. Like uh, Van, as we discussed, is the writer and director of Igby Goes Down. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Um, the guy who owns the club is Cindy Lauper's husband. Uh huh. And Alice and Charlotte's roommate is the woman who founded the Imitation of Christ uh, fashion line and then directed that movie Hashtag Horror. Oh my god. Didn't see that movie. I did at when I worked at a video store. I liked it. We'll put it on the list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's like, it's it's interesting that these people, the, the actors portraying them, I think, are all more interesting than the characters in some ways. Uh-huh. It's really cool. I will say, I will say, I find the characters in this movie to be like deeply interesting, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes because they're so unlikable and because they're like fatal flaws are so mundane that it it may make them seem kind of boring. But I like that each of them is just really well defined. Yeah, yeah. I I'm being a little bit of a snob. I I mean, basic, I guess. But I, that's not to say that they aren't compelling and interesting as like fully like formed human beings but it's like they They're want trad. to be kind of bland and inoffensive <laughs> that's yeah. like their goal in life right um the scene where they all disavow the idea that they are yuppies mm-hmm. perfect and when they make yuppie an acronym it is it was i thought it was young urban professional yeah not young upward they say young upward yeah yeah um mm. wouldn't that be yumpy they, they would they would yumpy is upward. funny <laughs> yumpy yeah, uh, there. It's funny. There in his first movie, Metropolitan. There's this whole scene where they're talking about yuppie, the phrase, and um, how they don't think that it accurately um, encapsulates what the real what they really are. And so there's like this long protracted thing, and the one guy goes, "I think it should be the urban haute bourgeoisie," and then they're like, "Is, is it's, are we so?" Are we so far removed from it that we have to use French words to describe the like, <laughs> the class that we are? Um, like that also, and that's just funny too. That's it's so pretentious to use the French terms to describe your class status or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I you know it's I I'm trying to think. It, it's almost like what Richard, like how Richard Linklater kind of got like slacker culture. Like he got like th- this is like preppy yuppie whatever snob culture but and it, and you know which is which is fun to pick up do you know what this movie sorry do you know what movie we've talked about bethy that this reminds me of and i think in many ways is a better version of hmm. swingers it is kind of like <laughs> when i was watching it's proto when i was watching the last days of disco i was like i think it's after swingers swingers is oh, yeah, 96 is. and I this is like, 98 in Right. history but you're right it is later it's got like you know it's the movement is the organizing principle you've got kind of the two protagonists but like everything about last days of disco to me is just like uh, a more enduring and sharp version of swingers and swingers has its own loose appeal because like you love those guys but um it's an interesting companion piece yeah it's a more clear-eyed version of the story i watched um swingers like at the very beginning of the pandemic when when I was just like, let me just w- make sure I do everything twice. Let me make sure I watch every movie twice that I like or something like that. I watched Swingers and I forgot how fucking like the camera's like shaking all over. <laughs> it's like, it's such a like kind of rough, like messy um, movie. But um, anyway, yeah, that's a good point, Thomas, that, that there is there is a like through line there, I think. In, in that conversation about, uh, whether or not they're yuppies, one of them says, "Like, can you ever really call something a movement if nobody will claim that label?" And that is so funny to me because I think there hasn't been a single social movement or like generational name that the people who get called it claim. Like, nobody thought they mm-hmm. were a hipster. Nobody thought they were a hippie. Right. Nobody. Even something like were... Occupy Wall Street, you know, yeah. that's not a name that they embraced. Oh, God, I want to just see, I wish 
that would just be so funny to see these characters dealing with Occupy Wall Street. <laughs> they would be standing on a balcony somewhere, scoffing at them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, complaining about property values going down. Right. <laughs> what have we missed? Oh, has anybody been to a club with, like, an exclusionary door policy before? I'm trying to think. I mean, I guess back in college, I guess. <laughs> or, and, and, and when I, specifically, like, when I was in college and, like, in New York. But that, but that, that is something that, like, I think once I hit, like, 20-something, I was just like, I'm, I'm never going to wait in line again. Like, I just, why, like, I'm just not... Nothing will be worth it like that. Uh, when I was 22, I went to uh, Good Times at Davy Wayne's, which sucks, ah. by the way. <laughs> but the door guy told me to take my hat off. Oh, really? So that's, yeah, that's the adversity that I face trying to go to bars. <laughs> yeah. I went to our bar during its password phase, but the password uh, was on Facebook, uh, so it wasn't like... Yeah. I hated that, though. It was so annoying. It was annoying. Did they actually turn people away? I always knew it, but I thought it was just like a fun thing. I think they they used it as a way to to refuse service to people that they didn't want to deal with. Oh. But under the pretext that they didn't have the password. That's elegant. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, other than that, I don't think I've ever... I, I think I'm scared to try and get into places that are exclusive yeah i wouldn't want to be turned away at this point because i don't like myself yeah it would, it would kill me <laughs> i'd cry i would cry i'd cry, be crying i'd be crying in the club um, outside of the club you wouldn't be in I'll, well that's <laughs> the thing it's like i feel like at this point too it's like you can still go to those parties but you just you you know we're successful you know adults you know you just get on the list you know then you know deal with the line or whatever that's important to get on the list is very yeah. important that's that's a, another important message of the movie. I just want to repeat this quickly. Just like Alan said, we're all successful adults who get on lists. Me, Alan, <laughs> Bethy. Yeah. Hear you, me. That's a list right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the full list at every party. That's the list. I want to talk about Alice and Tom, the lawyer guy, a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, Alan, we've been kind of dancing around stuff, but we spoil shit on this podcast all the time. We assume people have Great. seen it. The the Great. fact that Alice was a virgin and she has sex one time and the guy calls her a dumb slut and gives her <laughs> gonorrhea and herpes all he in one sucks fell sweep. so bad. Incredible. Yeah. He's also corny, though. He calls it like the G infection and the H infection. What yeah. a dork. What are you, in second grade having sex? Like... I mean, that's how they would write it in Scrooge McDuck. They'd have to just the <laughs> yeah, G yeah. and then a height, like blurt out. Yeah, it's like any time a guy's into like an old cartoon, it's like this. Is, <laughs> that's, that's just not good. <laughs> but it, it's truly everybody in the movie projects onto Alice. Like at first, uh, Tom thinks that she's smart until she has sex, and now she's dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy says that she's irritating because he's scared of her, essentially. Uh, mm-hmm. Des likes her once she has VD. He's like, oh, she's approachable now. <laughs> and like the fact that Charlotte also has all of these projections onto her makes me think that she's bisexual because people project on Alice when they want to fuck Alice. So I'm, I think that's part of what's going on with mm. Charlotte. That's my head. Oh, canon. for sure. I, I, I agree with that. Yeah, that checks out. Um, there's something really important that I want to talk about, which is the scene where Alice is jogging and she's wearing a long coat, Thank sweatpants, so and high tops. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, that's a sick outfit. <laughs> yeah. I wrote down coat and underlined it like three times. <laughs> Everyone in this movie, except for the boys, looks cool. It's true. It's important that we bring up just to make sure that uh, this is our this is our moment for virtue signaling. That we let everyone know that we know that the Disco Sucks movement was racist and homophobic. Sure. And that was stupid. Great. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. They they did do the... They've included the... The footage. Footage of that, of um, the, them blowing up the Disco records, the Disco Sucks night or whatever. I thought that I thought that was kind of a cool, like, story mm-hmm. device, too, to just, like, show that it was over. That, like, the Disco Sucks moment was, like, talked about in those VH1 shows that I watched as an 11-year-old. But it wasn't until I was looking at, like, the Southern Poverty Law Center's, like, list of, like, 
hate crimes. They had like a hate crime index and they had the Disco Sucks rally as one of them. I was like, oh, yeah, good point. Yeah. The fact that they act like this is the only club that exists. It's called The Club. Yes. They act like it's the only place that anyone has ever partied. I think Jimmy calls it the greatest club the world has ever seen. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, there, there's the, there's so many lines like that too. Where like I think it's Jimmy when um they're just like he's too depressed to dance and he's like I'm too depressed to dance <laughs> to say that out loud at a club while music is just. Go- I mean, that's just that's fun. That's funny. That makes me want to talk about the opening 15 of the movie, where if you haven't seen this before, you feel like the movie might take place entirely in one night mm-hmm. at this club yeah. because of how committed they are to the minutia and just sort of uh, explaining like the taxonomy of this place. But like when it's um, Chloe 70 and Kate Beckinsale intercut with Des explaining to multiple women um, that he's not actually a terrible guy, but is in fact gay and found out this most recent Wednesday. That's like some of the most fun, propulsive filmmaking I've ever seen. It's so oh, yeah. fucking funny. And when the woman he's talking to is like, wait, so you found out you were gay on Wednesday? And he says, yeah, Wednesday was gay day for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just such good lines. Of like, I, I also like the like, there's a lot of cool, and I thought the the, the 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 first 15 minutes was like this too, like a lot of cool like intercutting devices. There's also a lot of cool like transitions in the movie. Like there's the one where like after Alice hooks up with the shitty guy and it kind of like just transitions to day and she's like, it literally is like the light goes out and then she's like, the music goes down and then she's just walking silently up out of the, it's like, perfectly encapsulates what that like walk of shame is like whatever you want to call it and then there's like this one transition too where like it was going from the strobe lights in the club to then like building windows like the like and then i think that they were in an office scene and the way that it was kind of like blurring the line between like you know are we at this big party or are we at work and how committed these people are to it's also about even more than disco too. It's also about like that time in your life where you are still like, all you have to do is go out every night. Cause like, what the fuck out? You're not a real person yet. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, so I think it kind of like, I, I, and that's what I kind of mean at the end of the, the movie, it kind of like everyone shakes out and there's like some reconfigurations and van goes to Florida and Jimmy's on unemployment and stuff. But then it kind of seems like everyone is going to wind out where they're supposed to be. And then the ending where they literally, I always forget that they straight up play love train and um, people dance in the subway. And I'm just like, Oh my God, what a fun, fun way to end a movie just to like show like the actors or just people dancing on a train in New York. I mean, it's great. I love a movie that ends with a, what, Colin called a semi-diegetic dance scene. Like, you're not entirely mm. sure if, they're, if they are dancing or whether this is, like, presentational. On my Letterboxd, I do have a list of movies that end in one of those. Like, The Imposters Love does it. that. Uh, I mean, Slumdog Millionaire does. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. There's a magical moment in the edit there where right before the verse comes in, Alice and her boy, like, fade out. And then the car is just the people dancing, and eventually they're reintroduced, but it gives it almost this, like, magical quality. Mm-hmm. Like it's not actually happening. Yeah, it's nice. And pretending to be gay to get out of seeming like an asshole <laughs> is the best con in the world. I mean, hats <laughs> off to Des. Yeah. It's really innovating Des in is, the space. Des is slimy. Yeah, love it. I love when he's like, I'm a rat. <laughs> <laughs> I like the part where he says he's not an addict. He's just a habitual user. Yeah, 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 yeah. All those little things are just like, I mean, I've heard people say stuff like that. Too. It's just like, oh, my God, do you, are you even listening to yourself? What are you saying? Yeah, that's another thing that, that Swingers has in common with this movie is that it's a lot of people making declarative statements about who they are and like what their whole thing is mm-hmm. that are that are so telling and not the way that they think they are. Mm-hmm. It's great. Did did we do it? I think we did a pretty good job. Alan, what do you think? I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we hit everything. And I I guess I'd just say, like, 
if you like fun movies, give it a watch. And that was the other thing too, is that it's like, it kind of had, it made me, I watched it on a weeknight or whatever, but it kind of was like methadone for actually going out to a bar or something. <laughs> like it was like, Hey, that's what, Hey, that is what it's like. <laughs> yeah. This, the experience of watching this for the podcast is the thing that I crave most, which is just like a movie that already exists that I've never thought about, that I don't think to be canonical, but someone recommends it to me and I'm like, this is amazing. Why haven't I seen it? And it reminds me that there are so many movies out there that I will love that will bring me joy uh, if I can just bring myself to watch them. There you go. That's beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful moral. Yeah. Thank, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Al, where can people find you online? You can find me at Totally Allen on everything. Sick. Thomas, yeah. you got a Twitter. I do, yeah. I'm on Twitter at uh, handsome underscore pal. And um, the show is at Movie Bar Pod on Twitter and at Movie Bar underscore pod on Instagram. And I am at BethyBSQU on Twitter and at Bethy Squires on Instagram. And, uh, you know, partying is wherever you find it. <laughs> Be the party you wish to see in the world. Exactly. And if you can't find us online, you'll find us uh, beneath the landslide in a champagne supernova in the sky. We'll be at the club. Right. Yeah. No, just find us at the club. We'll see you at the club. Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins with show art by Lindsay Farrell. And that theme you hear at the top, that's Quentin Mulligan.